Hi everyone, welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to David Prendergast, Head of the Department of Anthropology and Professor of Science, Technology and Society at Maynooth University in Ireland. David is also a speaker at the Why the World is Anthropologist conference, um, happening between the 23rd and 25th of September 2022 in Berlin, under the theme Regeneration. We are happy to have David with us, speaking to his background and current work at the intersection of academia and the applied sector. He shares his path into anthropology and his multiple research projects, as well as gives insight into what motivated his choices to leave spaces of engagement or to take on new opportunities. As speaker at the Why the World is Anthropologist conference, he shares how he will be contributing to the themes, as well as his advice and thoughts to those considering to attend. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, friends. We are here today with David Prendergast, anthropologist. Hi, David. Hi there. Nice to meet you. Happy that we could make this happen, David. Um, and I'm really, really looking forward to dive into uh, your contribution at the Why the World is Anthropology conference. Um, and before that, tell me and our listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what has brought you to the path that you're walking today? Thanks, Karina. Yeah, so my current role is I've just uh, become head of Department of Anthropology at Maynooth University. I've only been in that role for about eight days now, so I'm brand new. Um, I've been at Maynooth for the last four years, uh, and I'm a professor of science, technology and society there in the Department of Anthropology. Uh, prior to that, I worked at Intel for 12 years, uh, mm -hmm. and then I had a, a range of different uh, occupations uh, there. Uh, just in terms of people may be asking, where's Maynooth? Uh, well, yeah. it's, a, it's a small university town uh, in Ireland, about 30 minutes by train just outside Dublin, uh, and we're the, uh, the only anthropology department in the Republic of Ireland. Um, and uh, we offer all sorts of different, uh, we, we offer an anthropology uh, undergraduate, uh, MA and PhD program, as well as some new degrees that we've been working on, such as business and global cultures, uh, as well as, as and things like modules in forensic anthropology with law, uh, user experience, ethnographic filmmaking, etc., uh, which are things that I've encouraged uh, you know, bringing into the program as well uh, since joining and returning to academia from industry. Uh, and I wow. suppose, yeah, it's quite a... Might you be the first head of department with a corporate background? That's a really good question. Uh, I have no idea. I hope so. <laughs> I hope I'm not the last as well. So <laughs> I hope I do a good enough job. But uh, yeah, I, that's a great question. And, and I, I possibly could be, you know, uh, interesting. Um, so I suppose kind of how I got here is quite a long story, really. Um, I said, but it does involve the 12 years at, uh, uh, at Intel, uh, the chip manufacturer, uh, and a lot of important mentors and role models. And, you know, I'd like to kind of just touch on some of those, thinking about the kind of route to this over the years. You know, so, yeah, I, I, to be honest, when I was a child, uh, I always wanted to be a farmer. 
you know, I, I lived in the countryside. There was a farm next to us, and really, that's where I, I started out. But I kind of rapidly became aware that you know it was very difficult to kind of if you weren't born into it you had the land etc it would be very difficult to become a farmer in, in that way uh, but it's always been a lifelong interest you know looking at agriculture and agricultural communities um, I suppose my first interaction really with social sciences uh, was uh, when I studied the A-level A-level sociology and there was a, a chap called Frank Daniels uh, who was the sociology teacher? And I suppose you know you're studying all these different topics, but I was it, it just really captured my imagination and got us thinking. He was always pressing us. He was one of those really tough teachers that wouldn't let you riddle off the hook and kind of you know, uh, and you know we so we learned all about Marx, Weber, and Durkheim. Mm -hmm. You know we came across uh, Berger and Luckman and Howard S. Becker. Uh, look at Paul Willis's Learning to Labour and Harry Braverman and all that kind of stuff. So that really, you know, was I think that was a fantastic grounding initially, you know, at the, the age of eight, uh, the age of 16, 17. I mean, and so that really caught. So from there, I wanted to then go and study um, sociology at university. Um, so I did that, I uh, went to Leeds. And then during that process of, of studying sociology, uh, we were doing, in, in the second year, we had research methods and, you know, we had these lectures on ethnography and that's really, you know, I started looking at those, looking at that method and I, and it just struck me as that is something that would be for me, you know, in terms of the research. Um, we got to do a small research project that we could choose. I went and did a, a small uh, ethnographic encounter with a, a Buddhist retreat in Leeds. Uh, and then later on, did some interviews for my thesis in post fordist British agricultural systems, etc. So that's kind of where I started out. Um, and then, you know, I suppose after then kind of spending a year kind of after the university, kind of trying to, to figure out what I really wanted to do. And, well, I was in a rock band and I wanted to stay playing in a rock band, right? <laughs> uh, and trying to kind of put food on the table by teaching A-levels and things like that. Um, you know, I, I was applying to different uh, degree programs, MA programs, MPhil programs. Um, and, I, and I applied to, to a, a range of different programs. Um, and I decided I wanted to study anthropology at that point. I really loved the idea about going and doing a long-term ethnography. Um, so that's kind of, so I applied to different places. Is um, one of the best letters I ever received in my life was from Cambridge. They kind of replied. There's a number of places that it applied to. Um, remember, you know, I was, I'm from the north of England. You know, I never thought I would end up in Cambridge. I never even really thought about it. But I thought I'd put a, an application in with an idea, and they responded with a letter that not only accepted me, but they offered, you know. This is in the nineties, like you know, mid nineteen nineties. So, with with a with a letter offering ten thousand, you know, pounds a year stipend in addition to fees, and I mean that was a game changer. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, because I, you know, I'd, I'd applied, but I wasn't quite sure how I would be able to afford going to places like this. So, you know, I mean, doing the MPhil there was amazing, and, I, and it gave me some amazing teachers from Marilyn's Rathurn, uh, people like Keith Hart, Alan McFarlane, you know, and they were all, you know, Alan later became my supervisor for my PhD. Um, Keith uh, Hart, uh, the anthropologist, was, was amazing in terms of helping me kind of think, of, you know, not just immediately follow on 
to do a PhD in anthropology, but actually spend time kind of in the field before that and learning, you know, some language, living with a Korean family. I wanted to go to South Korea and do some work there and really starting to get, get some of my ideas together about what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of that. So I did. I went and followed his advice. I went and worked in with a Korean company with a Korean family, you know, and um it was it was that was amazing and that kind of really helped me kind of start thinking about the ideas uh i mean i, I traveling around rural korea uh south korea was um you know it rapidly became in the night in the in the 1996 became you know rapidly became clear about what's happening in terms of urbanization in terms of the the numbers of older people in these villages you know and so I was wondering, well, what's going on here? And that became the basis for my PhD, exploring the lives of the of older people, the um, the often the the older sons who are looking after the farm, and then the stepwise the process of stepwise migration, and you know, looking at uh, different care practices, both of the living and the dead. And so that's kind of later became my PhD, I suppose. So that's kind of so that's all very traditional uh you know what you might expect you know kind of it's 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 you know i here at this point i'm still thinking i'm going to end up in the academy etc mm-hmm. um so i kind of finished the phd and i wanted to find somebody really interested to work with on the postdoc you know mm-hmm. and uh, at the time um there was uh, the, the anthropologist jenny hockey up at sheffield uh and the anthropologist leonie kelleher had uh, gotten together and so they were putting together a project called Environments and Memory. And so I applied for it. I got the, the postdoc that went with that. And that project was looking at, uh, again, remember, I've been studying uh, death in Korea as well as aging. Um, and that project was looking at uh, memorialization, um, bereavement uh, and care practices um around you know in the united kingdom in four cities in the united kingdom looking at what happens to human ashes and you know as a result of the rise of cremation and nobody had ever really done this type of work looking at where have all the ashes gone or what happens to them and thinking about them as you know in terms of uh you know a material a material um but but also something that can is divisible that you know uh you know many people kind of form relationships and use it as a way of thinking about you know new forms of ritual creative ritualization that can happen when you no longer have a focus point like a grave so a lot of our work then was about kind of tracing the trajectories of these ashes and looking at the kind of relationships around those so that was my first uh, real i think um engagement with industry as well you know as an academic Mm -hmm. because there was huge interest in this project um i mean as you might imagine there was people who were there was you know funeral directors were interested uh the uh cremation society and the 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 associations of crematoria were you know wanted to know about this um you know bereavement counselors wanted to, to 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 understand this as well so you know we got invited to a lot of industry conferences uh, would often be giving you know keynotes at these events, uh, talking about our, our findings. There was so much interest in that, uh, so that was my first kind of, I suppose, intersection there. And then uh, after that, that project finished, and you know, I was then thinking, I thought I'd go and do some work on the other side of the mortal coil, and I got a job at Trinity um, Trinity College Dublin. 
and that brought me over to Ireland. And then I, I spent a year then working in the in the Centre for Social Policy and Aging, uh, writing a book on um, the lives of domiciliary care workers in Dublin. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I was that I was very interested in. And uh, and and it was during that time that I got uh, that I met up with uh, a team from Intel that was going around the different universities in Ireland. Um, and they were looking at setting up a research centre in Ireland, um, which uh, would be co-funded by Intel and the Irish government. And it would look at uh, technology research for independent living, essentially, was the, the, the theme of the centre. Simon Roberts, I don't know if you've interviewed him, just been hired by John Sherry and, and those guys at Intel uh, from, from the American team. Uh, and you know he to to kind of start working on setting up the centre. He and I, uh, so you know myself, John, uh, Simon Roberts, Tim Plowman, etc. Got talking. We started putting together some projects, some ideas for the for what the centre could look like. Um, and you know that led then to an invitation to you know to join them. So that's how I ended up kind of you know um, joining Intel. I thought perhaps it would be for about five years um, and ended up, uh, yeah, I was there for 12 years. So, <laughs> um, Quite a long know. time. Yeah, it was, you know, mm. and actually my career kind of at Intel, I really see as being in two parts. The The first part was, you know, running, uh, being one of the actors kind of running this centre, um, as well as kind of working within Intel's digital health business group. group. And then after that finished, that project finished, that program, et cetera, um, you know, I had the, chance, the, the, the option to go to in different locations and different, you know, uh, places within Intel. And, um, you know, you know I, I ended up in the labs uh, in Ireland, the Intel labs. And, you know, um, pretty much one of the first questions I asked was, would I be interested in setting up another research centre, uh, this time in London, uh, looking at sustainable connected cities, uh, which we did, and we set that up with University College London and Imperial, um, and so that was the the next three years um, that I, I set that up, and then after a while, I, I really got uh, I had enough of tra traveling backwards and forwards every week. Uh, to me, that's that's really tiring, you know, having to be away from the kids every week and everything like that. Uh, so um, I discussed this with the, with the team in Ireland, and you know, we'd already hired an amazing person uh, in in London to you know keep that centre and who was running that centre. Um, so I, I did keep in, in touch with the centre, but then you know, I set, ended up setting up living labs in. Um, in, in, in Dublin as well. And we had a whole range of different projects that we looked at, like uh, flood management, environmental sensing, uh, you know, all sorts of different things. So that was the kind of, um, you know, that took me through kind of a, a, a big part of my career, I suppose. And, it, you know, I, was, I, I very much got deeply into uh, Intel at that point. Um, but I suppose one thing that's worth noting is that, um, you know, it was that I also tried to maintain a, a, a range of side roles as well. It was actually great working with, with Intel because they gave me time to go and do other things, right? So you're always, you're always expected to maintain your publications, for instance, you know. Um, you also expect, you know, and, and I was given um, some time every month to go and uh, in a role as a visiting professor of healthcare innovation that I had at uh, Trinity for, for several years. 
uh, and which where I was working with nurse, mainly in the school of nursing, uh, and I was working with nurses uh, who, who were, you know, had been working on research projects and wanted to explore how they could do things beyond peer review publications and so we would kind of look at different ways that they could operationalize uh, perhaps do really interesting things with with the the, the findings that they and you know that they, and they wanted to give back to to the to the, the research participants so that was a really fun pro, uh, kind of piece uh, and then um i also um Oh, sorry. Well, what drove you back into academia, David? Sounds like a really cool ride with with Intel. It really was. <laughs> you know, it was really good. Um, I, I suppose that you know it was the fact that um, the the projects were changing. Okay, what what often happens at a big place like Intel is every few years the the you know the dynamics change, the teams change, uh, you know, and and you've got to kind of adjust with those changes you know mm -hmm. maybe there's kind of the business unit you're you're in is closes down and then there's like another one that's opened up like maybe mm -hmm. internet of things and and that's really healthy for for a business uh, but as an in individual within those kind of shifts it can get quite tiring especially when you're in the middle of things and you've really been pushing you know so i think for me it was um one of the it was at the end of one of these big um kind of times um mm. and also you know i kind of thought at the time like at that point in in you know around which was around 2017 the um the company was very had its focus very much on core uh, business uh, and you know whereas before we spend a lot of time looking at new industries and new and ways technologies fit in the world and think and future focused pieces um, now that didn't go away there's still lots of that going on at Intel but just the area I was in uh, it, that side feeling like some opportunities would be getting more limited and essentially I would have to move uh, to to return to some of these other places you know and I, I think that would have been possible but for me um you know i, I you know I, I wanted to stay in ireland my kids are here yeah. you know so yeah yeah now fascinating um now i i i'm, I'm really curious if if part of this story will is it is it connected to to how you will be what you will be sharing at the um, wider world is anthropologist or will you be going into a different direction yeah what can I, you share about your um your contribution yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I definitely think I will be touching on some of this. Um, there's four themes at the conference this year uh, around the term regeneration. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first one is uh, looking at cultural and design assumptions around age and aging and generations, uh, really from the idea of thinking about generation sensitive products and services and technologies, right? Um, so that's the kind of first theme they've put up. And then they have other themes like rebuilding regenerative cultures and business models and supply chains, regenerating anthropology, uh, innovating in our, our own discipline and thinking about new methods and, you know, et cetera, and opening new spaces. And then the fourth one is post-conflict, which is which was a, I think this was a new kind of theme they've added uh, because you know. And the the fourth one is on post-conflict regeneration. Um, so I was really asked, mainly asked to address the first and the third themes. You know, so uh, come and talk about generations and talk about aging. Uh, so you know, 
and then I obviously and also talk about, you know, I suppose what I see in terms of regenerating anthropology, because that's also something that I try to do. You know, I think kind of we have, you know, students who want to study anthropology and become anthropologists and, you know, working with them in, 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 you know, in, in, you know, is incredibly important, as is working with students who perhaps don't want to become anthropologists, but want to study anthropology, you know, and kind of build it into, they've got another pathway in mind. So, you know, I think those are really both incredibly important uh, student bodies that to, to, to work with. So I'm kind of going to talk about those those two aspects, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, my talk's title is going to focus really on the title is Ethnography, Technology Design and the Future of Aging in Place. Uh, and, you know, so I'm going to kind of be addressing, you know, my research on aging and independent living, as well as the career working at the industry academic interface. You know, mm. I might talk about some of those transitions. Uh, I'm not sure. It depends on how people are interested. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in your perspective. On that. Uh, but um, what, what would I like to hear more about from this? Yeah, perspectives? right. Yeah. Let me know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I find fascinating the way you navigate these two worlds, and and I, I can imagine that for 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 many people, myself included, at, at times this this is not an easy transition, you know. Um, so, but I do think it's it's kind of this kind of ability to almost shape shift to to kind of um, be able to exist in both worlds from a space of value. Yeah, it would be cool to to hear more about that. How do you do that? Yeah, yeah. Now, I suppose at the conference, what I might do is, um, I, I, I think I will touch on that a little bit in the talk. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm only going to have about 35 minutes to talk. Yeah. So, you know, uh, <laughs> so I'll probably focus mainly on content to do with aging and things like that, With whilst trying to bring it back then to some of the projects I've worked on. Um, there's going to be other opportunities in both the panel later on, and then also there's kind of meet the anthropologist type events. And so whilst I'm there, I will try and throw myself into events, you know, yeah. and kind of, uh, and, and create and, and join in spaces where I can kind of, you know, if people are interested, they can discuss these with me, you know. Um, I will, I do plan to talk a little bit about, um, given that you've got this theme about generations, I want to mm -hmm. just problem, problematize like how, you know, the concept of generation, especially older generations, um, you know, has been misused in many ways. Um, I mean, we talk a little bit about demographic change, but some of the labels in the media around the idea of aging tsunamis and silver, wave, you know, age waves and some of the, so these things I want to kind of address to some degree, uh, especially, you know, kind of when we have things that we've just witnessed in many European countries where we've forced older people, i.e. anyone over 70, by def you know, by the you know, uh, by how the government have defined this into staying at mm -hmm. home and cocooning, and what does that mean in terms of homogenizing uh, an age group which is often kind of you know two three gener you know I mean uh, decades you know it covers a huge diversity of people and 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 lives and uh, you know many many types of contributions you know so mm. I really want to kind of break into that a little bit um, and I'm going to, I plan to do that with uh, looking at some of my very recent research 
uh, which I've been doing through a, a Horizon 2020 project. And I'm going to look at some examples of, of uh, some case studies from Northern Ireland that I've been working on uh, as part of a much broader study, which will result hopefully in a book. Uh, so we're working on that at the moment. And so I'll kind of run through that and then I'll then touch on... Um, you know, on, on some of the other projects, mainly in this area that I, I, I've kind of looked at. Uh, you know, it's one of those difficult things when you've kind of been working over many years. Mm. Uh, that's a key theme I've worked at. Um, you know, there's all these other areas that I've worked in that I, I don't think I'll have space to touch on, but I'm, I'm wondering, do I find space? You know, like sustainable cities, you know, living labs, smart stadiums, the Internet of Things, you know, some of these interesting spaces too. But maybe that's for another talk. I don't know. So yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What's what, what's your, I mean, um, oh, I have an opinion and a question. What should oh, I start with give, first? Give me your opinion, please. <laughs> Now, uh, uh, for me, this, what what's interesting in the in the generations, I've watched um, two things. I've watched uh, Tim Ingold um, a few months ago um, lecture on kinship, yeah. and he and he has kind of like a new theory of kinship that she's developing that really heavily talks about this interweaving um, the concept of time and generational thing as a continuous flow, so that you don't you um, each each generation kind of flows into the other one and there is this kind of um, carry, carrying of stories of meaning, of values, of richness, instead of this kind of box perspectives that we that we have from a capitalistic perspective yeah. um, that also connects the, a certain generation to its ability to contribute to societal capital or to now. So and he was he was also touching on this on this idea that hey um, if if we look at generations only from the perspective of their capacity to deliver value you right. see in the current society a very strong focus on the generation that is sitting in a, within a particular age group like like thirty to fifty or uh, which is not the the right lens to look at community and kinship so so that yeah. that I found I found it a very interesting perspective. That's fun. That's fascinating. And actually, our book is 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 uh, part of the title is about legacies, and we mm -hmm. have an entire chapter on on this very on these flows and exploring kind of different forms of relatedness that are, that are being built. Uh, uh, also, there's a lot of kind of questions about empowerment as well and disempowerment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, based upon ideas and perceptions of capability. You know. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's it is it's a really interesting area. You know, I'm not sure how much I'll get into in the in the yeah in, in the tour, but you know that that also ties well to my question because how what's your style of engaging with your audience? Like you you are a man of many interests. I'm sure many wonderful, fascinating stories and and projects. Like, how do you navigate the relationship with your audience? Like, how do you sense what what's what's the thing that you want to say, and and how do you want to engage with them? Yeah, well, I'll try and do homework beforehand and <laughs> look at who's going to be there. Um, you know, to be honest, I, I love talking through vignettes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I like to kind of maybe set some set the scene to some degree, talk about general patterns mm -hmm. uh, in, in the area that I'm interested in, um, maybe kind of deconstruct some ideas or, you know, but ultimately what I want to do is is 
is tell some stories. I want to kind of normally would go in and I would go through, uh, you know, maybe three or four vignettes, uh, different kind of case studies um, mm. that that where there would be a particular point to each of them. Uh, and sometimes they, they may be in counterpoint to each other. And sometimes it may be that they're actually just kind of have their own individual piece. Yeah. And I'm trying to then kind of uh, create a point that perhaps at the end of the day tries to have people coming away from the talk, even if it's, you know, you know, just with the idea that, OK, Aging in place, for instance, in this case, um, is uh, something that many people aspire to, being mm-hmm. able to stay in their own home uh, and, and live in their own home, right? And, uh, you know, in their own communities, whether it's the home is the house, the bricks and mortar, or whether it's the communities beyond that. Um, you know, and that's really, really desirable for so many people. But I'll also kind of point out cases where it's not. You know, uh, and it's just sometimes we need to be reminded of these things. And I think kind of, you know, that those are the things that the people I interview and spend time with want me to, you know, you know, that that, that, that come through. So I want to kind of bring a few of those yeah. aspects out. It's quite a simple thing in many ways, but it's kind of, you know, I think that's to me is an important kind of be able to walk away thinking I've done a good job telling that story and having people think, okay, I'm going to go and design, say, a product or a service for, you know, X, Y, or Z. And then actually, well, what does that really mean? You know? Yeah, that's really cool. And and um, what are you expecting from the people that will be listening to you? Is there anything that, you know, if, if I want some of them are listening, like anything that you would like to, to, to say, convey? Um, yeah, well, I mean, essentially, it's just like some of those those elements I've just been talking through, really. I mean, I suppose kind. Do you mean in terms of when I'm at the conference or today or? No, I I, I mean like maybe maybe uh, you are um, you know uh, you would love people to think in advance and throw a lot of questions of you at you, or maybe you would like people to just just read something in advance or I don't know, or maybe you would say, just, just have yeah. a, have an open mind and, and, and come, you yeah. don't need anything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, I, I, I don't think that kind of, I want to set them, uh, uh, I want them to just come and listen to, mm. to engage. Um, I'd love, you know, if people want to know, um, you know, okay, there's the domain knowledge that I have mm-hmm. accumulated and want to, you know, and just want to share some, 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 parts about and a couple of key messages that I'll obviously try to get across but you know I mean I'd I'd love if people want to come and talk about what it's like to to work in in the different kinds of environments I've worked in with the different kinds of teams that I've worked Mm in Um, it's the types of things that kind of drew me back to academia uh it wasn't just because I could have you know I had different job offers in different obviously you know in different uh industries and you know I and I decided very purposely to go back to teaching and partly that was to kind of to be working with with students to be working with people who were who were interested in moving into uh you know different uh different types of environments and using their ethnographic skills and and some of the anthropological theory and and you know and wider social science theory and this but essentially the the skills that we teach and and Mm -hmm. exploring how they're used within outside the academy you know and and certainly how i did it how i've seen other people do it uh and and you know i've learned a lot from many other people right um and you know and so i think those are the conversations that 
I'd be very happy to have. You know, I mean, one of the things perhaps I, I'm thinking about putting into the talk is is you know kind of some insights from. Um, you know, uh, somebody that I deeply respect, somebody called uh, Katrina McCauley, who's the chief designer for Scotland, right? Mm -hmm. uh, she's been involved in Epic over the years. She ran it in, she was one of the conveners in London, right? You know, back in, I think it was 2012 or so. Um, I've worked with her over the years. Um, and, you know, she's now, you know, set up, um, she hires a lot of anthropologists into government. So yeah. I want to kind of, and again, she'll be somebody fantastic for this podcast if you've not already interviewed her. Um, but to me, kind of the insights that, and you know, by working with those people, I'd love to kind of spend time reflecting upon those as well. I'd like to kind of share them as well, kind of, because I think there are so many fantastic jobs yeah. Yeah. out there. Uh, there's loads of roles and there's loads of roles where you can you can do something where you feel you're doing a huge amount of good, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know and 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 there will you'll be i think sometimes anthropologists kind of feel that people don't value their skills whereas i actually found that yes there's lots of people that don't understand when you say you're an anthropologist but then you start putting different labels on it and they immediately get it right and yeah. they can immediately see the kind of need for people that study society you know to and and and, and how you know humans and, and how practices work you know, and, and the, the the absolute essential nature, of, you know, kind of to be able to work on that in technology development or <laughs> working yeah. working for government and work, you, you know, I mean, so those are the things that uh, I'm quite passionate about. I suppose they, I want to bring them to it. I'm not sure how far I'll get through that in in a single talk, but I'll be there for the three days. So nice. And um, maybe one last question before I let you go: uh, mm. Why should somebody join the conference? Any any ideas on why should somebody make time to come? Do you mean aside from the important topics and great speakers? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, uh, well, okay. So I think there's, you know, I mean, aside, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of reasons. I think participants have the chance to uh, listen to presentations from a range of apply clubs uh, that that are part of the, the applied anthropology network, right? And I think there's going to be you know presentations from you know like apply clubs like the built environment and anthropology of digital methods, uh, anthropology of finance, innovation, organizational anthropology. So if those are the kind of things you're really interested in, in then then you should go to those presentations and get involved in those discussions, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that the conference like this, uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's really is a perfect opportunity to, to meet like-minded people, you know, who are interested in applied uh, anthropology and ethnography in praxis. And I do think we need more meetings like this. And especially in Europe, we need more of these, you know. Um, I think um, in, if I was to kind of give advice, to potential speak uh, participants i think is that you know especially in days the second and the third day of the conference it's like throw yourself into the workshops uh and volunteer to give to deliver one of the petrocutia style presentations on day two and three uh, uh, on the third day there's also a careers fair and in that careers fair there's going to be sessions on how to pitch anthropology uh, projects. Uh, there be safe spaces to ask questions to mm -hmm. other ethnographic practitioners. Yeah. So if you're starting out, then 
Fantastic. You know, then you've got a chance then, you know, to kind of, you might have all sorts of questions. You know, maybe you're thinking about moving from uh, a university setting into industry. Uh, then you can do or that. Or the other or, way around, right? As in my case, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been both directions, you know, but I've, I've loved both, uh, being in both. And I'll, I'll say, to be honest, um, I always have a foot in the other as well, even when I'm in the main. So I'm kind of back in, you know, in a university. Um, but one of the things I've done is just set up new degrees uh, with the School of Business that have half of this uh, syllabus. So half the curriculum is um, is anthropology and the other half is kind of business. Right. So, you know, I mean, it's. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, and, and we work with a lot of external businesses as part of that. Uh, just as when I was at uh, uh, Intel, I worked with Trinity. I was, you know, kind of, um, you know, I worked with Dundee University and uh, MSc in design ethnography and things like that. And then, you know, I was ex their external uh, examiner and whilst being in industry, you know. So there are, I think, kind of those types of things are really great to do whilst you're in the role if you can. If your if your position allows you that type of space, I maybe I was just very lucky. Um, but you know, it was great that I, I could make those uh, those side roles work. And I'll, I will tell you, when it came to the point that I was thinking, okay, I, I want a new challenge, I want to go in and I want to start teaching again. Um, and I've just had a lifetime of research. It's time now to you know. Um, by having done those side roles, it did, and, and mm -hmm. also the publications, it helped me when it then came to returning, you know, to the academy yeah. and, you know, yeah, and having the, oh. the CV for that, so. All great reasons to come to Berlin um, and uh, come to the ASA, Why the World Needs Anthropology, right? And listen to your wonderful contribution and talk. Um, it was a pleasure, David, understanding better your background, uh, hearing about your projects and your work, your, your passion and energy, and, you know, this kind of migration between two worlds. It's, it's very inspiring to see, to meet other people that do it. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.